This theme for today began with one word also. Mike brought us the word contrast. We call it Good Friday, but considering everything that happened on Good Friday, we're not 100% sure why they call it good. It was good and terrible at the same time. And when I began researching and looking at contrast, I thought that, okay, well, I'll be able to find a couple of them. But when you begin to look through Scripture, you find the same contrast everywhere. In talking about the second coming in most of the uh, uh, prophets, it's a great and terrible day. A great and terrible day. And it began to hit me that the contrast really is humanity and divinity. The first Adam and the second Adam. See, the first Adam missed the mark. That's what sin means. <clears throat> is to, is to, it, it comes from kind of a, an archery term, the word sin. It's, it's to miss the mark. Adam missed the mark. He was created completely, absolutely selfless by God. But he missed the mark. He failed to take it through. He changed and, and took that inherited selfless nature and took on this selfish nature that you and I are now saddled with. And that in verse 15 of Genesis 3 was told that we need saving from. That one day there'd be one of us. One day that there would be a son of man that would come and would be that seed, would be that one, that one man that would hit the mark. Paul calls him the second Adam. And on that night that it began, on that night that it began, that he would truly, truly do what he was called to do, and that is to come and hit the mark. In Gethsemane, the contrast between the two natures are so stark and, and stand out so much that this is where we wanted to begin. Gethsemane is, is the place where it begins. Gethsemane is, is where he begins to take on the curse of the death that you and I inherited at the garden. On the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Because if you think about it, in contrast to love, selfishness has only one inevitable end, death. It leaves one man standing. If, it, if, if it's let go to its inevitable end, it leaves one man standing. And eventually that one man who also is selfish never ever opens up and accepts the free gift of life that God gives. And so that he dies too. Jesus came to do something about it. He said, I need, uh, God says, we, we, we need to, to, to take that death and to curse it. We need to hang it on a tree. We need to curse it. And then when it's done, we need to give life to everyone who, be, who would believe that we did. And so Jesus, Jesus comes to, to take on that death. He comes to experience that death for us. Gethsemane, we are told, is where it begins to happen. All Matthew says is that Peter, James, and John noticed that he became very agitated. On all other times, and all other times when he went off to pray, he would go by himself, and he would completely, absolutely exclude himself. He would, he would recluse himself. He would, he would leave them completely. He would go up a mountain. He would go across the Sea of Galilee. Tonight, he brings somebody with him. I believe he knew that something was up. 
And it said that he went only a stone's throw away. He didn't go far from the disciples. And all he asked him was, would you help me? Would you help me keep watch? And, and, and then Matthew noticed, Matthew says that he became agitated. Luke says, Luke is the only one that points it out, that when he, he became so agitated, his sweat fell like drops of blood onto the ground. It's an actual medical condition. It's called hematidrosis. I looked it up a long, long time ago in studying Gethsemane. It's when someone becomes so stressed when their blood pressure may hit such a, a peak that the tiny little blood vessels next to the pores actually rupture and they bleed into the pores and to where the patient actually sweats blood. What is it that could be agitating him so much? What is it that could take him to the point of this agony, this absolute agony? It's because he's beginning to experience that death for us. The contrast is, is that the disciples were asked to be with him, and they're in one part of the garden, and the second Adam, the one who's going to hit the mark, about to hit the mark, the process is beginning. See, the only thing that, that, that could mean death for you and me, the only thing that would ever mean the second death or death forever, is that if we permanently separate ourselves from God. So what God had to do, what the Father had to do at that particular moment, on that particular time, is that he needed to separate himself from the Son. And as he separates himself from the Son, then, then Jesus can feel the life ebbing away from him. He can feel something that he has never, ever felt before. Jenny put it very, very well. He never, ever experienced uh, uh, life away from the Father. He never ever experienced turning his back on the Father. He never ever even dreamed of it, thought of it. And now at this moment, the Father is beginning to turn his back on him. And this is what it's doing to the Son. Peter says he was agitated. Luke says he was traumatized to the point to where he's sweating blood. Just the beginning. This is just the beginning of it. It's tomorrow where he really uh, be completely turned his back on. And, and, and when God finally turns his back on him completely as he's hanging on that cross, death comes as was promised. On the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And just a note, he had a long way to go before he should die physically of the crucifixion. He had a long way to go. But once the father separated himself from him, once he cries out, that he truly, why have you forsaken me? Then he dies. Jesus didn't die of the, tr of the physical trauma of crucifixion. He died of a broken heart. He died because God finally turned his back on him. God finally allowed him to be the curse for you and me that you and I deserved. The contrast, though, the contrast is, is that in, 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 in two parts. One, with the disciples' selfish nature, inherent selfish nature, they can't even stay awake with them an hour. And I like to give the disciples a break every now and then. Uh, Morris Fenden, uh, one of our church's most foremost famous evangelists, said that he liked to give the disciples a break. If you notice in Matthew, it says, because of grief they fell asleep. <laughs> and if you think about it, when you're experiencing great, great grief, do you know that the only relief you get sometimes is to take a nap? 
And maybe they couldn't handle it. Maybe they could not understand. They couldn't see, and it was a whole lot easier just to go to sleep than to try to figure out what's happening with him right now. But Jesus asked him something specifically. He said, would you stay awake and do what? Watch. Pray with me. Because when he comes back the second time, he said, could you keep watch just for one hour? And, of course, Jesus knows the answer to that question. And the amazing thing is, the amazing thing is, is that that's not a lecture. That isn't a lecture to him. Jesus wants them to remember what's going to happen tomorrow. He wants them to understand that he's doing this for them. And what he's doing is he's reminding them of what he is going to do for them. You don't even have it in you to stay awake with me one hour. Your nature is so selfish that you can't even stay awake one hour. This is why I have to do what I'm going to do. See, I always thought that he was lecturing them. I always thought that he was pointing out. See, because that's what I would do. You know, if I told two of my friends, hey, I want you to stay awake with me, just stay awake with me, okay? Uh, and, and I come back and they're asleep, that's what I would do. I'd lecture them. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah? But that's not what Jesus was doing. He was reminding them that they couldn't. He was reminding them that there was absolutely nothing they could do about their selfishness. He was reminding them that what he is about to do, no one else even has it in them to do, which is why he has to do it. Didn't have to. Actually, in a way, his love, what he has for us, he did kind of have to. He chose that commitment. And not only did he do it for three disciples who at least got up from him, with him from the table and went with him and at least are sitting there with him. He did it for that one disciple who's not with him in the garden. He did it for that one disciple who has ran away and right now heading right to that very place with an entire cohort of Roman soldiers and temple guard. And who had already made up his mind that he was going to identify him and hand him over. Pastor Walt talked about Judas last night, and he made that mention that, that Jesus washed his feet, Jesus gave him communion, all of those things. And yet Judas looks at him, stares at him, and it doesn't break. Nothing happens. His heart doesn't break. That's me. It's, 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 not, that I, it's not that I just can't stay awake with him for an hour. It's because I don't want to. It's because my nature doesn't allow me to live beyond myself. My nature doesn't allow me to love. It doesn't allow me to do even the basic, simplest of things. Therein lies the contrast in Gethsemane. My nature's asleep. I wake up in the morning and I don't even think. I don't even think about turning my back on God. I can just do it. Sweating blood? I don't even sweat. Sweat. It's that easy for me. It's that easy for me to look him in the eye, to look him right in the eye and say, I know I'm right and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I appreciate the effort washing my feet. I appreciate what you've done for me, but my nature is going to do what it's going to do. Which makes Paul cry out, who will save me from this wretched body of death? Therefore, 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The scandal, the beauty, the contrast. The contrast between him and us, the contrast between our nature and his nature is why he had to do what he had to do yesterday. And I never let an Easter Sabbath go by without saying this one thing. On Sabbath, he slept. On Sabbath, he rested. Of everything that great and terrible contrasted day on Friday, the Father still came and gave him his Sabbath rest. And was there ever a son of man? Was there ever a human being? Was there ever one of us who ever deserved a Sabbath rest more than he did 2,000 years ago? The contrast. Remember the contrast. The scandal, the beauty, and the contrast.